Let's take our Bibles today, Mark chapter 10. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Again, we're in our series, our mini-series, I will call it, Fight the Good Fight as Servants. Fight the Good Fight as Servants. And so that's our mini-series. And last week we talked about fight the good fight as, as servants of the Master. And today we're going to address this issue of fighting the good fight as servants in the ministry. Now we know in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. We are confident and sure that God would have us as believers to fight the good fight of faith. But as we look at that, we've decided to break it down over the course of the year and kind of remind ourselves from time to time about our theme. And so we talked earlier in the year about fighting the good fight as stewards. And now we begin talking about the good fight, fighting the good fight as servants. And eventually in the fall or sometime near there, we're going to look at fighting the good fight as soldiers. But for right now, let's continue in our passage, Mark chapter 10. Let's look at this particular passage and see what we can glean today as we consider as servants in the ministry. Fighting the good fight as servants in the ministry. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand and one on the left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? Be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We can. Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard of it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. Now in the passage, of course, we are introduced to these men, James and John, who sought a very preeminent, popular, prestigious place with the Lord Jesus Christ. In His kingdom, when He begins to rule and reign in the millennial kingdom, they want to be seated on the right and the left hand of Him. And again, I don't know that it's wrong, as we mentioned earlier, to desire the great things of God. But nonetheless, the other disciples were rather perplexed. nor And they were rather angry even with these disciples. They could not believe that they had the audacity to ask these particulars of the Lord Jesus. I often think that probably they were just a little jealous that they hadn't asked first. But nonetheless, we find that Jesus now enters into what I would call a discourse for the ages. A discourse concerning leadership and authority. 
And he begins to share with them in verse 42. We see there in verse 42 the stereotype exposed. We said here in verse 42, But Jesus called them to him, and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. He said, now this is the stereotype. This is what goes on in the world. The, the rulers of this world, they, they're going to be putting their foot on the neck of their, their, their employees, their servants. They're going to be pushing people out front. They're going to be taking charge. They want the preeminence. They want authority. They want to exercise lordship. They're going to flex their muscles, if you will. That is the stereotype of the world. And it's exposed. He exposes it for the disciples. But then in the next verse, verse 43, and continuing into verse 44, we see that he begins to explain the standard, or the standard is explained by the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Isn't that interesting? He says, basically, greatness is not measured by elevation, but by association. It's not about how many are under me, but how many are around me. It's it's not even about how many there are to carry me. It's how many can I carry. You understand what I'm saying? He's saying now it's about you as a leader being a servant of others. The greatest servant becomes chiefest. The one who yields the most of their time. The one that yields the most of themselves. The one that yields the most of their, their their faculties, their abilities. That's the man, that's the woman who's great among you. He says it's totally different. In the world, they exercise lordship. They flex their muscles. But in the church, in Christianity, it's that lamb that serves. Then we see the Savior's example in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. We see His own example now. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ would ultimately wash the feet of the disciples. We know that He would ultimately surrender Himself to the cross of Calvary. That He would willingly give His own life, His own soul, His own body, so to speak, for the sake of you and I. Men, when God turned His back on Jesus Christ, He literally gave Himself wholly, completely. That's the attitude and that's the heart of the true servant of God. That's what God expects from every believer, not just from the pastors, not just from staff, not just from the old timers. He demands and is determined that all of his children are that kind of believer, that kind of servant. Because see, serving is the responsibility of every believer. See, there's no room in our hearts or our lives For a haughty spirit or I'm above this job or above that job. Jesus Christ wasn't above washing the feet of the disciples. Jesus Christ is our greatest example of servitude. And we ought to serve him. If he was willing to serve his creation, the creature ought to serve the creator. And so tonight, this morning, we consider this issue. This fight the good fight as servants of the ministry or in the ministry. We already talked about being servants of the master. But now let's consider this issue of serving in the ministry. What are some of the qualities and characteristics of a servant in the ministry then? If we are all to serve, and we know we're to serve the master, and because the master died for the church and loved the church so much he gave himself for it, it only makes sense that we would be also 
involved in serving and giving to that which he died for, the church. So that church we often refer to work in the church as ministry. And the church is important because God reaches the world through the local church. So therefore, we all have a part as believers, as servants, to serve in the ministry. So what characteristics and qualities should a servant in the ministry possess? Well, this morning I want to share six qualities and characteristics with you. And so let's take just a moment and pray and invite Christ in on this and then move ahead as we seek to learn and understand as believers what should be expected of me as a servant in the ministry. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, again for all that you do for us. We're so thankful, Father, that you did indeed send your Son and thankful to Christ for dying in our place. And Lord, we're grateful for a Bible that, Father, gives us, Father, literally the the outline of the Christian life enables us, Lord. It provides us a blueprint, if you will, Father, for it. We're thankful for that. And we ask, Lord, that you would just now help to take that word, your truth, apply it to our hearts. May we, Father, be the kind of servants you want us to be. Yes, serving you. But, Lord, because you served us and served the church, we too should. Lord, help us, Father, to be the kind of servants in the ministry you want us to be. Now, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Enable me now, Lord, to... Uh, be able to focus my attention in the area you'd have me. Father, help me to say those things which would be needful and necessary. And Lord, may you just, Father, anoint every listening ear that we may hear with spiritual ears today. Thank you, Father, for the music. Thank you for the choir. Father, for the fellowship one with the other already, for the workers in the nurseries and the junior churches, for all that's taking place this morning already and what will take place today. But Lord, right now we need you to supernaturally intervene and help us to focus our attention now on you and your word for these next few moments so we are not sidetracked, not distracted by Satan. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. What are some qualities and characteristics of a servant in the ministry then? Number one, spirituality. Spirituality. You know, as believers, our faith should fuel our lives. It should fuel our lives. It ought to ignite our passion. It ought to direct our energies. You know, we are spiritual beings. And as such, we cannot separate who we are from what we are. We cannot separate who we are from what we are. My grandma used to say things like, Oh, you're gonna go, there he is putting on the dog. Putting on the dog again. What was she saying? What was she expressing? Basically, what she was trying to say was, is that you're trying to, here he is trying to impress somebody again. Here he is possibly even trying to pretend or trying to appear to be something he even isn't at times. Putting on the dog, dressing up really sharp, looking apart. Putting on the dog, trying to impress people. You know, I I hope that you know, uh, we, you know, we probably have all seen that in people before. And, and it's not all wrong to get dressed up. It's not wrong to look nice. It's not wrong to put your best foot forward. But if it's not really who you are, that's a problem. And you want to know something in the church? Uh, I hope this isn't the case, but it seems to me there may have been somebody in history or maybe even in the present who has put the dog on in a church. Maybe it's been a pastor, or maybe it's been a deacon, maybe it's been a trustee, maybe it's been a Sunday school teacher, or it's possibly just a member of the church. Oh, we're Christians and we talk a good talk, but we're just putting on the dog, maybe. Well, if we're going to be servants in the ministry, we need to be genuinely spiritual. We are spiritual beings, but we need to be spiritual then. 
It's not just what we do, it's who we are that matters. And if we're going to be effective servants in the ministry, we cannot afford to be anything but genuine and transparent. And, and, and so how can we safely gauge our spirituality? How can we do that safely? You know, some would create a list of rules or standards that should be performed. And, but yet all of us know, every one of us know, that outward adherence to a set of rules and regulations doesn't necessarily imply or ensure spirituality, does it? it? It just doesn't. So you can dress and act and look the part, but that doesn't mean you're spiritual then. You know, it just could be outward. It could just be putting on the dog. So let's evaluate our spirituality where it resides then. Let's look at the heart for a moment. I mean, I believe that spirituality, from what I can tell biblically, scripturally, manifests itself in a, ver- a number of ways. So it does express itself, but instead of expressing itself in just do's and don'ts, what's the heart spirit? What's the attitude that should be reflected? And so I do think that spirituality manifests itself in a number of ways, but let me just note three of them that I think will help us to understand or be able to evaluate our spirituality today. Number one, hunger. Hunger. You say, what do you mean? Well, in the book of Psalms, chapter 42, the psalmist says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Man, the passion of the psalmist toward his shepherd, his God. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In Matthew 5, verse 6, the Bible says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. A hunger for God, a hunger for Him. You say, am I spiritual? Let me ask you, do you have a hunger for God? You have an insatiable desire to draw nigh to Him. An insatiable desire to be found in His Word. An insatiable desire to be on your knees and in His presence. I didn't ask, do you go to church? I didn't even ask, do you just read your Bible from time to time? I'm not asking, do you pray? I'm asking, do you have a desire, a hunger for God? Because spirituality is based in the heart of man, not in the actions of man. A hunger not only that, but may I ask you this, or note this, not just a hunger is it manifest in a hunger, but it's manifest in holiness. Spirituality is manifest in holiness. Take your Bible, look over at 1 Peter chapter 1. A very familiar passage. Matter of fact, I want you to instead to turn to James 1.27. I'll read 1 Peter 1. You turn to James 1.27 though because of time. But notice Holiness. Again, we're trying to gauge spirituality. If we're to be spiritual in the ministry, then how do we come to a conclusion of spirituality? Well, first, do we have a hunger for God and the things of God? An insatiable desire? Or can we do without it? Number two, holiness. I'm going to read 1 Peter 1 while you turn to James 1. But 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Notice James 1.27 now. Pure religion and undefiled, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, 
to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Wow. You know what what that just, what it reeks of? Selflessness. It just permeates of selflessness. I'm going to visit the widows. I'm going to visit the fatherless. None of those people can give you a dime. They really, now I'll be honest with you, I've had some widows that were extremely, extremely generous to me. I've had some widowers that were extremely generous. But I'm not going to probably get rich off them. They're not going to fill the plates to brimming. They're not going to build the buildings. They're not going to be the ones who are able to give the thousands of dollars that working people can. I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, you and I know that's the case. you got someone on a fixed income that can only be so generous. And the point being is, though, is that when you visit the widows and the fatherless, you're not expecting to get anything in return. Maybe a hug, maybe a thank you, maybe a I love you. And that should be enough if you're truly a servant in the ministry. And boy, I'll tell you what, he goes on to say, and is unspotted, unspotted. From the world. Keeps himself. Keeps herself. See, it's not God's job to keep you clean. It's not God's job to keep you pure. It's not God's job to keep you unspotted or me unspotted, clean and pure. It's my job and it's your job. As a servant in the ministry, you are responsible to stay pure and clean. And you say, well, what's that about? Well, I'm saying that your heart ought to be, God, I want to be pure in your eyes. God, I want to be clean. Like the psalmist said, David, oh God, search my heart and know my heart, I pray. Oh God, show in me, reveal to me any wicked way. Is that your prayer? Spiritual people have that concern and that prayer in their heart. Are you spiritual? Again, spirituality, it's, I, I believe it's manifest by hunger, manifest by holiness, and finally by happiness. You say, well, happiness, yes, and we all make the distinction often between I'm happy in my circumstances or I'm joyful in my circumstances. I had to use the word happy because there's an H. So, joyful. Expressing itself through a smile and happiness. Okay, there you go. Now, as a third century man was anticipating death, In the third century now, he penned these last words to a friend. Here's what he said. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls, They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians. And I am one of them. Wow. Isn't that amazing? This guy's going to die. Now, I don't know if he was being martyred or what, but he's preparing for death. And he's talking about the world. And he says, yeah, we're in a wicked world. Yeah, we're in a horrible situation where I live right now. And in those days, Christians were being martyred and persecuted for their faith. Much more difficult to live for Christ then than now. And yet here he says there's a people, here's a people who express joy, who demonstrate joy. They're called Christians. He didn't say there's some great Christians 
And of those great Christians, they express joy. The rest are down in the mouth. They're discouraged like the rest of us beings here in the world. No, Christians are joy-filled. You say, well, I'm not. Then maybe you're not spiritual. Do you hear where I'm going with some of this? It isn't about whether you attend church. It's not about how you dress. It's not just about what you say or where you go. It's about what you are. I mean, are you hungry? Are you holy? Are you happy in Christ? Those are marks of spirituality. Someone says, well, I'm struggling about three out of three. I'm struggling two out of three. I'm struggling out of one out of three. Or I got a handle on a couple, maybe, but I'm still having a difficult time. Let me tell you something. This is about you and God. And don't you want those things for your life? You say, I don't. If you don't, it's because you're carnal. You're fleshly. You failed to see the need to separate yourself unto God and to enjoy the riches that He alone can give you. I implore you. I beg you. I plead with you today. Choose Christ over pleasure. These are just a few of the characteristics, or should I say, manifestations of spirituality. We can, I believe, effectively gauge our spirituality by evaluating ourselves from even just those simple three areas. Number two. Oh, by the way, I just have to throw this verse in because it does support what I'm saying. Someone says, well, you didn't give me a whole lot of scripture other than the ones you used just to kind of tell me about holy and happiness and hunger and all that. Well, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Notice joy's in there. Do you know if you're spiritual, joy will be a mark of your life? See, so I wasn't making it up. At least not that. I'm not making any of it up. But anyway, you see that. So we got those marks of spirituality. What a wonderful gauge. Number two. Okay, as ministers in, uh, servants in the ministry, what what kind of characteristics and qualities? Well, spirituality, number two, humility. Humility. While speaking to the church at Ephesus, Paul reminds them how he first came to them. And how he according to Acts 20, 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. He, he tells them how he was serving the Lord with all humility of mind. All humility of mind. That's how Paul served the Lord. With all humility of mind. Well, that's how we ought to serve the Lord then. In 1 Peter 5, 5, the Bible says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Boy, it's easy. You know, it's, you know, as we get a little older, it used to be, remember when you was growing up, and uh, we're never going to get through all these, but you know, you used to, we was growing up, and uh, one of the benefits of growing up was that finally somebody had to show you respect. You know how it was as a kid. Nobody shows you respect as a kid. So you're like, yes, I'm finally going to be an adult. And then you, as you get older, you think, man, growing up, this ain't all it's cracked up to be. I'm feeling pains and aches. But at least, at least... People show me respect. At least I have that one thing to look to. People look at your gray hairs and say, he's a man of wisdom, a woman of wisdom. Praise the Lord. You know, there's some benefit of growing old. I don't really think I see that as much anymore because young people today haven't been taught to respect their elders. 
as a whole, not all, but as a whole. So we've even lost the one good thing about getting older. But it used to be that that was a, a good thing. As you got older, people showed you a certain respect. And they, they, they recognized your experience as being a plus. But hold on a second. Even back when Peter's writing, he says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the other. We go, that's right. Younger, submit yourself to me. Uh, go get me a glass of water. Uh, move that chair. I want to sit here instead. It's easier on me, my back. Uh, go get me a cushion for my chair. Uh, you know, we, but hold on a second. We got to keep reading, though. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. It means no matter how old I get, I'm still to be humble. Clothed with humility. You know what that means? That means that it's visible. I'm clothed with a suit on today. You know what you see? The suit. I wear the suit. I ought to be wearing humility. Everywhere I go, people ought to say, humble. 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 You got humble on today, don't you? You you got humble on today. It's evident. I can see it all over you. You're clothed in humility. That ought to be the testimony of every believer. At work, school, at play. Humble. Humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Paul says, man, I'm serving the Lord with all humility of mind. You say, boy, Paul must not have been too humble then if he noted that. No, he was. He had supernatural spiritual insights. See, humility is an elusive characteristic trait in the lives of believers today. It's elusive. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's missing in most of our churches. It's missing among the members of our churches as a whole. You say, wait a second. No, hold on. Give me just a moment. When our feelings can be hurt and our egos wounded, we're truly not humble. We're not humble. Your feelings getting hurt all the time? You're not humble. No, because it's all about you still. My feelings. How dare they talk to me like that? How dare they treat me like that? I can't believe that. Oh yeah, you're all that. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Now, hold on now. I didn't say this was going to be a joy ride today. I just said we're going to learn something, okay? So, here we are. Now, listen, we've become so familiar with pride that we struggle to even identify it in our lives. It's just so familiar. We live pridefully, arrogantly. Therefore, it's hard to note it. I mean, we have to actually go up to somebody and go, I'm the greatest! I'm the greatest! Woohoo! He's so prideful and arrogant. But hold on a second. In her book, Brokenness, The Heart God Revives, The author shares a list of statements that contrast the prideful versus the broken person. And I want to share some of those with you. Listen closely to some of these. 
Proud people focus on the failures of others. But broken people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need. Proud people are self-righteous. They have a critical, fault-finding spirit. They look at everyone else's faults with a microscope, but their own with a telescope. And they look down on others. But broken people are compassionate. They can forgive much because they know how much they've been forgiven. They think the best of others. Let's do another one. Proud people are self-protective of their time, their rights, and their reputation. But broken people are self-denying. Wow. You're protective of your time, your rights, your reputation. I'm just saying, I'm just repeating what she said. Makes sense to me. Proud people desire to be served. But broken people are motivated to serve others. Proud people have a drive to be recognized, to be appreciated. They're wounded when others are promoted and they are overlooked. Broken people have a sense of their own unworthiness. They're thrilled that God would use them at all in any ministry. They're eager for others to get the credit. and They rejoice when others are lifted up. Sound like the normal church? Hold on now. Proud people have a self-conscious feeling. This ministry is privileged to have me and my gifts. They think of what they can do for God. But broken people have their heart attitude that says, I don't deserve to have any part in this ministry. They know that they have nothing to offer God except the life of Jesus flowing through their broken lives. Proud people feel confident in how much they know. But broken people are humbled by how very much they have to learn. Proud people are quick to blame others. But broken people accept personal responsibility and can see where they were wrong in the situation. Proud people are defensive when criticized, but broken people receive criticism with a humble, open spirit. She goes on to say, proud people are concerned with being respectable. They're concerned with what others think, and they're working to protect their own image and reputation. I'm going to throw something in here. That's why... The pastor, that's why the staff, that's why leaders in the church end up falling before our very eyes. Because they were so worried about their reputation, so arrogant and prideful about who they were in the eyes of others, they were unwilling to get the help they needed before they fell. And that's true in your life too. I won't go to see that preacher. I don't need his help. That's arrogance, pride. And it'll cost you possibly your family before it's over with. And your dignity. Because be sure, your sin will find you out. On the other hand, broken people are concerned with being real. What they care about and what matters to them, according to her, is that that, uh, not what others think, but what God knows. And they're willing to die to their own reputation. Proud people have a hard time saying... I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? 
But broken people are quick to admit their failure and to seek forgiveness when necessary. Proud people are concerned about the consequences of their sin. But broken people are grieved over the cause, the root of their sin. When there's a misunderstanding or conflict in relationships, proud people wait for the other to come and ask forgiveness. But broken people take the initiative to be reconciled. They race to the cross. They see if they can get there first, no matter how wrong the other person may have been. Wow. Proud people compare themselves with others and feel worthy of honor. But broken people compare themselves to the holiness of God and feel a desperate need for His mercy. Proud, unbroken people don't think they need revival. But they're sure that everyone else does. Whereas humble, broken people continually sense their need for a fresh encounter with God, for a fresh filling of His Holy Spirit. I believe that her contrasts are spot on. And that each of us today would be wise to evaluate ourselves in light of those. See, those hoping to be effective in the ministry must possess a humble spirit. We must possess a humble spirit. Number three, not only are some of the characteristics and qualities of those servants in the ministry spirituality and humility, but also loyalty. It's absolutely necessary in the ministry. Loyalty is not the absence of criticism. It is the presence of enthusiasm. Did you get that? Loyalty is not the absence of criticism, but the presence of enthusiasm. God help us to be loyal to God first, and then to God's man, the pastor. You cannot serve effectively in the ministry without being loyal to the man of God, who gave you the opportunity to serve at all. You say, no, God gave me that opportunity by telling the pastor, it's okay. You say, that's not right. That's not how, that's because you're prideful. You're not willing to be told anything. I don't need no pastor to tell me it's okay to serve because God tells me. I don't need the pastor. I don't need anybody. I got God. What's your name? Is it Korah? I'm just wondering, is it Korah? Because what happened to Korah and his family? If I'm not mistaken, in the backside of the desert, when Korah decided to say, hey, who made you God, Moses? Who told you that you have a right to tell us what to do? We get it with God too. We don't need you to tell us what God says. We're fine. We don't need you like that. I'm just as spiritual as you. And God said, okay, Moses, here's what I want you to do. Gather them all together. Let's have a little meeting. And when they gathered all together, he said, let me open the earth and swallow them all up. Because we've got to get rid of that cancer in our midst. His arrogance cost him his family. It cost him his life. It cost him hundreds of people. Listen, I'm not talking about I'm God in this place. But what I'm saying is this, that as a servant in the ministry, there is a hierarchy of control and an authority. God is God. The pastor is the under shepherd. And there are positions in the ministry that he must approve. 
He oversees the church. The Bible tells him to do that. That is my responsibility. I would be shirking my God-given responsibility if I just let anyone and everyone do whatever they wanted in the ministry. Loyalty is absolutely necessary to God and to the authorities over you. If you are working on the staff at Community Baptist Temple, you are responsibly loyal to the pastor and his vision. If you are a leader in this church, you must be loyal to the pastor and his, if you're under another leader, that leader, as well as the vision. It's just the way it is. If you go to work, you have a boss, an owner, a boss, and then you. You either are loyal to that or you ultimately be let go. But when it comes to the church, if we're not careful because of our pride again, we think that God is the only one we answer to. No, you answer to your authority within the context of the ministry as well. See, we don't talk like that today. It's not popular because we live in a culture where everybody's God. Everybody's king. And because there's no king in the land, everyone does that which is right in his own eyes. But unfortunately, look what's going on in our ministries and our churches today. Look at the conflict and the confusion. Look at the mess that we find ourselves in. With all of our freedoms, it seems that we're more bound than ever. And we're accomplishing far less than ever. For the sake of Christ. This is God's way. Unless there is something that is clearly unscriptural or unethical being promoted or performed, we should be supportive of it. That just makes sense. And there's nothing clear. I'm talking about clear. Well, I don't like that our pews are going to be green. I don't agree with this. And if you hear what color those pews are going to be, what do you think about that? Do you think the pastor should have the right to make that decision on his own? You you ever go with that? Oh, yeah, the pastor never asked anybody their advice because he didn't ask you, so he obviously does everything on his own. Okay, you know what I'm saying? If, If he really, if he was a humble man, he would have asked me my opinion. You, you know, now you know, I kind of, but but I know I know nobody in this room would ever say those things. But I'm just saying, why is people laughing? But anyway, the the, the fact is is that we've got to be careful. Let's be careful. Let's be loyal in the ministry. If you want to be effective in the ministry, you have to be supportive. You have to be loyal to leaders, unless there is something that is scripturally amiss, and then there are steps to take to correct scriptural problems. They're already there. So we find that there are a few things. We talked about spirituality. It's absolutely necessary if we're going to be effective in the ministry. We talked about humility. We talked about loyalty. Let's talk about another one very quickly. Availability. If we're going to be effective in the ministry, we need to be available. Acts 9, 6 says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We're talking about the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He, he comes face to face with Jesus Christ and he, he comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord. And right off the bat, right immediately, he says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I'm available. Here I am. Use me however you choose. Whatever capacity you desire. Boy, that kind of availability is so needed in the ministry. A servant of God. A servant in the ministry needs to be available. Lord, what is it you'd have me to do? Oh, pastor, what is it you'd have me to do? Oh, uh, ministry leader, what is it you'd have me to do? 
Uh, uh, Brother Joshua, you're in charge of the buses. Uh, I'm working over here, but we've got extra workers. If you need me on another bus, I'll go to any bus you want. I'll work with anybody you want. I'm available. Whatever you need, brother. You just want me to stay back here and count out cookies for all the bus kids? I'll do that. Whatever you want me to do. I don't have to be the bus captain. I don't have to be this person. I don't even have to do that. I'll do whatever's needed. I'm available. Praise the Lord for you. I just fell in love with you. You mean I don't have to walk on eggshells worried that I'm going to offend you if you don't get the position that you want? You mean if I don't, if I don't promote you above that person, you mean you, you, you won't be mad at me? Oh, thank you. Life is so good here at Community Baptist Temple. People walk out the doors of churches because... They don't get the respect they think they deserve. Could it go all the way back to humility? And then to the place where they're really not available unless you're telling them to do something they want to do. Can you realign these chairs for me? And I want them done this way because I think you'll find that it's helpful. Or I don't even have to explain. I just, can you do that? Somebody obviously already did that. Why does he want me to change it now? Does it matter? I mean, aren't you available? Servants in the ministry just need to say, okay, preacher. Preacher, um, you want me to change that? Is there something I can do every week for you? Oh, you're really available, aren't you? You'd have to get here at least a half hour early every week and make sure these chairs are all straight and exactly where I want them. And I've actually I want a little line right there, and we're going to put a little line where I want every chair to start because I've straightened these chairs up four weeks in a row every time I come in now. I'm a little bit crazy about things looking straight and even. I didn't get to your rows this week. That's why you had all that leg room. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about back there. I don't know how this happens. It's like, it's, it's, it's like the space ghost shows up, and all of a sudden the row's like three foot away. And you can almost kick your legs out and sit like this. You're like, in church, it's like. And in the middle row, they're like. And you're like. Okay, so, so and, and I think if we got to add rows, where are we going to go? We're already the back. Do you know last week for Easter, I came in and I changed every single, every single one of these chairs. Boy, could I use somebody that's available. It says, I don't care. Okay, you need me there early just to move chairs around, to set them up right. That Availability. You, you get wrong going, no, I'm not asking for you to do that job because I'll, if I have to, I'll just have the staff do it now. Because I've decided as of this week, I wrote myself a note, I'm not doing that no more. I come in here to pray and get ready and I spend 30, 40 minutes setting up chairs. So I decide not to do that after the fourth week. See, that takes me a long time to figure out that I shouldn't be doing that because there's something more important called prayer that I ought to be doing. But your preacher is a... Let me tell you something. I'm a worker. I love to get my hands right in the middle of everything. I want to be out knocking the doors. And I want to be out there at that building working on every little detail. I want to do everything. I love it. But sometimes as a preacher, I've got to be careful. I don't waste my time. And I say waste because there are some things that the disciples taught us in chapter seven, 6 and 7 of the book of Acts that are more important than necessarily waiting tables. I've got, to, I've got to get in the presence of Christ and I've got to study the Word because then you get all this good stuff, right? Yes, all right, we've got to close this out. Availability. 
it is an invaluable commodity. I'm available. Well, that's a wonderful thing. So if we're going to be servants in the ministry, spirituality is a must. If we're going to be effective ministers, not only spirituality, but we said humility, and then we said loyalty, and then availability. Absolutely necessary. I was going to share with you accountability and ultimately flexibility. But today, let's stop right there. Servants in the ministry. When you begin to gauge yourself as a servant in the ministry, how do you do? Starts with spirituality. Most important of all. The rest of it falls into place when we get that one settled. You, you, you know what? You, you and I will be very humble if we are close to God. It's hard to think we're awesome when we see how awesome God is up close. When Isaiah saw God, his first thing was, Woe is me, for I am undone. Then after he saw how undone he was, he looked around him and went, Wow, I'm among a people of unclean lips. Well, we all have needs, don't we? Starting with me first. Because God, you're so big. You're so wonderful. You're so great. You know what? That's the image we need to get of God. The rest of it falls into place. So today, fight the good fight as servants in the ministry. And if you're lost today without Christ, you've never trusted Him. Listen, settle it today. Begin a relationship with Christ. Not a relationship with Community Baptist Temple. A one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ. Not talking to you about being a member of a church. We're talking about being part of the body of Christ. We're talking about knowing for sure you have a reservation in heaven. Settling your relationship with the Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Settle that today. Father, we come to you. We thank you again.